Amen. And thank you, Stu, for mentioning to us uh, the great need in our city. And I know many of you will want to participate in that. Let me also welcome you today to the Lord's house, a day of worship. Uh, like you, I, sometimes you get uh, just a bit overwhelmed with uh, the need and with uh, the pain and the suffering that's in our world. Uh, of course, uh, like, like many of you, you're, my heart is very burdened what has happened uh, in Paris these, uh, these last few days. And so uh, I thought it'd be appropriate if, if we could remember those who are being impacted by, these, uh, by the floods here in our own Jerusalem. But also, let's just take a moment and pray for those in the uttermost places of the earth and places like uh, like Paris. So let me just lead us in a, in a brief prayer. Father, we do give you praise because, Lord, you are worthy. And God, when we study your word and we study especially the life of Jesus Christ, we see a, the very portrait of love and sacrifice, forgiveness, redemption. And so we just, Lord, we do give you praise because you are worthy. Lord, our world is a broken world. It's a world that that has fallen, and I pray for our world, God. I pray for, I pray for the peace in our own community, for those who have been, been impacted, Lord, and devastated some. Their very homes and lives have been just destroyed, so I pray for them. But Lord, especially I pray today for the whole country of France and especially the city of Paris. Uh, what a beautiful city. Lord, many of us have, have been there, spent time there, and it is a beautiful place with uh, Lord, so much history, and now, Lord, it's been so devastated. And we pray, God, for peace. We pray, Lord, for justice. And we pray, God, that you would give uh, comfort, Lord, to those whose lives have been very, very impacted through this. And so, Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for the safety. Thank you, Lord, for the peace, God, that we enjoy here in this great country. We pray for our country. God, we're a broken country. And, Lord, we need you. We need forgiveness. We need revival. We need spiritual awakening. So, Lord, even though our hearts are heavy, Lord, in a sense, they're also uh, very joyful. Because, Lord, we do know, even as our bulletin reads this morning, Jesus, you do win. You have won. And you will continue to win. So, Lord, now we pray as we preach on heaven. And Lord, we'll turn our eyes, Lord, turn my eyes, God, to the focus uh, of the Word of God. And may we be encouraged today, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn me to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, we'll look at verses 9 through 27. I know that's a lot of verses, and so we're going to go fast today. But let me encourage you, between now and next week, uh, when we take up our offering next week, we're going to have our annual Harvest Day offering where we come and give our offerings to the Lord and to our church, which will help us catch up with our uh, 2015 budget. So if you would, join me and my family and, and give some extra so that we can kind of bridge the gap and make up some of the difference here over the last, um, over the last oh goodness, 11 months. Thanksgiving's almost here. Christmas is almost here. How many of you already started shopping for Christmas? Let me see your hands. Wow. Y'all make me mad. I'm telling you, people that do that can okay, are prepared and ready, so God bless you. It'll be here before you know it. So today we're going to talk some more about heaven. And we'll finish up chapter 21. That will leave us two more sermons, and Lord willing, we will finish... The book of Revelation, uh, the end of this month, that will be two full years of studying uh, God's Word together. So thank you. Let me, let me just say thank you, church, for bearing with me. This is not an easy study. It's not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of determination to come and to study the Scriptures. But you know, the Bible says in Revelation 1-7, 22-7, it says, or 1-3, 22-7 says, 
that we will be blessed, that we as a people are blessed because we undertake the study of the apocalypse with all of its symbolism, with all of its figurative language, with all of its trials and and wrath and so forth. So thank you for bearing with me, and thank you for praying for me as I have been studying and as we get to preach on heaven uh, today. So here's what I think we'll do. We're going to talk fast. I'm trying to process verses 9 through 27, um, trying to figure out just the best way to walk through this. Uh, But let, let, let me begin this way. There's a couple of scriptures in heaven that talk in the Bible that talk about heaven as Jesus is preparing a place for us. Do you remember this when he said, "It is imperative of me for, to go away, and if I go away, I will prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also." That's John chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 2:9 says, "I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I heard a preacher put it this way one time. He said, you know, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years, and He has been working on this place called heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to look like? Can you imagine what it will be like when we as the people of God, our great hope, our great anchor of confidence, that when we pass from this life, And we enter into the very presence of God for all time and eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It only took God six days to make this. Can you imagine what He's been working on for 2,000 years? It's going to be amazing. And I'm so glad I've got my reservation. Do you have your reservation? Do you know without a doubt that you're going to spend eternity with God, with the Lamb, with the Holy Spirit? forever and forever. So today we're going to look at the magnificence of this place called New Jerusalem. And then we're going to look at the measurements or uh, the, the, the geometrics, if you will, the geometry of what it looks like, this new heaven and new earth that cascades down out of the heavens and the earth. And there it is, this place called a New Jerusalem, a place that God has prepared for His people. And then finally today, I want to share with you point number three is what is missing in this place called the New Jerusalem. So we'll look at the magnificence of it, the measurements of it, and then finally, those things that we tolerate, that we endure here on earth, that will be very conspicuously missing in heaven. Verse 9 says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, he came to me, and he talked with me, and he said, John, come, and I will show you the bride the Lamb's wife. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and a high mountain, and He showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, coming down, descending out of heaven from God. Notice the first characteristic of this new Jerusalem, and I love this, before all the gems and the diamonds and the rubies and the emeralds, before all those things are, you know, the pearly gates and the streets of gold, before all those things The Spirit of God instructs John that the most prominent thing, verse 11, is the glory of God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as a crystal. And she also had a great and a high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, posted at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now, the circumference around this 
holy place, this Jerusalem, this wall, there are three sides, excuse me, four sides to the wall, the north, south, and the east and west. Notice in verse 13, these gates, there are three on the east, three on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So you have the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles of the Lamb. You have the combination of all the redeemed of humanity, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, gathered there in the New Jerusalem. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, about 15 hundred miles, and its length, breadth, and height are all equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, 72 yards thick, if you will, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. In other words, the angel is given the dimensions to John, but he's using the measurements of a, of a man. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like glass. In verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And now we get to read those quality of the gems, the stones that are part of the foundation of the wall. Let me read them to you. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third is chalcedony. The next is emerald. Then sardonyx. Sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, amethyst are the twelve colors, the twelve stones. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That's some of the measurements and some of the mesmerizing magnificence and beauty of this place. But notice what's not in the New Jerusalem. Verses 22 through 27 says, but then, John says, I saw no temple. There was no church. There was no cathedral. There was no chapel. There was no worship center. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need. There's a second thing there's no need. There's nothing of. There's no sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb, the Lamb of God, is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter in it any terrorist. <laughs> there will be no suicide bombers there. There will be no cancer there. There will be nothing of evil, nothing of sin that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a phenomenal, fabulous passage of Scripture that we get to preach on, get to share with you today. First of all, notice with me the magnificence of this place called New Jerusalem. One of the seven angels 
who had already given John the seven bowls of the wrath of God, poured out upon the inhabitants of planet Earth. Now remember, those seven bowls of wrath were poured out upon those who hated God, hated His Christ, who basically shook their fist up to heaven. They took the mark of the beast, which basically said they would worship the Antichrist. That same angel, or one of those angels, who said, John, here is the, the wrath of God. And in 17.1, he showed him the great harlot of Babylon. And so it's very interesting that it's one of those angels who basically is saying, the wrath of God is poured out on those who reject Christ, but the glory and the favor and the blessing of God, John, is poured out upon those who are citizens, who are inhabitants of this place called the New Jerusalem. It's interesting that the New Jerusalem is called the bride. Did you pick that up in, in, in our reading of God's Word? In verse 9 it says, come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. The bride is a synonym for the New Jerusalem. Why is that? Well, I believe it's part of it is because the city is occupied by the bride of Christ. So John can say that you could actually call the New Jerusalem the very bride of Christ. We are the inhabitants. And so, therefore, a good synonym for New Jerusalem would be the Bride of Christ. It takes its character by those who occupy it. The Lamb, Jesus, did you see this, is referred to seven times in Revelation 21, 9 through 27. Verse 10 describes the city's descent to the new earth like it did in verse 2. What a magnificent sight this must have been for John to be looking up. He's taken up to a high mountain. And he, and he sees in this vision in the Holy Spirit, he sees descending out of the heavens. The new heavens is this place called the New Jerusalem. But notice again that it says the first prominent, conspicuous, powerful characteristic is it consists of the glory of God. Now, church, whenever you see that, this is what I want you to think. When you read the words, the glory of God, think of the the radiance of God, the, the presence of God. In, in the Old Testament, when it said, and, and the Shekinah, the presence, the glory of God, tabernacled there. In, in the wilderness wanderings, when the, when the Jewish people, the Israelites, were making their way to the Holy Land, you had that, that tabernacle, and eventually you had that temple where it represented the very presence of God. And here you have this new Jerusalem that is, that is saturated, it is, it is completely engulfed with the very presence of God. That, that's why the angel can say, look, John, the new Jerusalem, it's all God's. It's Him. He's all in it. And the presence of God is with mankind forever. I don't know what that does for you, but that gives me great joy. That gives me great hope. Gives me great confidence knowing that one day this wicked, this evil, this sin will dissipate, be dissolved and destroyed. And glory to God, the only thing that will remain is the power, the glory, the radiance of God and the people of God. And that's what John saw. He also saw in verse 11 that this, this city, this new Jerusalem was like a clear jasper stone. Now think of the word diamond when you see jasper. Think of the word translucent, this glistening with great effulgence, this beautiful, this radiant city, if you will, coming down out of the the new heavens. And then there's this wall, this magnificent wall that encompasses. Uh, when I was first studying Revelation 21, I actually drew, and I drew a, a cubed, a square. And when you do that, you really begin to get some of the dimensions, the magnificence, the beauty 
the prodigious nature of this place, this new Jerusalem. There's 12 gates around the wall. Notice this. There are 12 angels posted at each one of the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in verse 21 it says, and all 12 gates are made of pearl. Now, now, now when, you, when you think of heaven, there are usually two things that you think of when, you, when it relates to physical objects. You think of the streets of, anybody? The streets of gold and the pearly gates. You ever wonder why the gates are made of pearl? Does everybody know how pearls come into existence with the oyster and with the irritant, and how it takes that which irritated it and transforms it into something beautiful? Let me, let me say that again. An oyster takes that sand, that grain, that irritant, and by the time it, it works it and manufactures that hurt and that pain, what, what you have is this beautiful pearl. And I love it. It's going to take me just a minute, but let me read this description by a man by the name of John Phillips who captures why the gates are made of pearl. How appropriate, he said. All other precious gems are metals or stones, but a pearl. It is a gem formed within an oyster, the only one formed by living flesh. This humble oyster receives an irritation or a wound. And around the offending article that has penetrated and hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, is the answer of the oyster to that which injured it. The glory land is God's answer in Christ to wicked men who crucified heaven's beloved and put him to an open shame. How like God it is to make the gates of the new Jerusalem of pearl. The saints, as they come and go, will be forever reminded as they pass the gates of glory that access to God's home is only because of Calvary. Think of the size of those gates. Think of the supernatural pearls from which they are made. What gigantic suffering is symbolized by those gates of pearl. Throughout the endless ages, we shall be reminded by those pearly gates of the immensity of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Those pearls hung eternally at the access roots to glory will remind us forever of one who hung on a tree and whose answer to those who injured him was to invite them to share in his home." End of quote. Isn't that not powerful? Isn't that a great description of why the gates are made of pearl. Then verse 14. John sees the foundations of the wall, and, and on the twelve foundations are the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And as we mentioned earlier, I believe that's a reference like the 24 elders. Early on in the, in the book of Revelation, you have the 12 Old Testament tribes, and you have the 12, um, the, the 12 apostles commingling, coming together, and they create or make up the inhabitants of heaven. Okay, that's the, um, the magnificence. Let's look at the measurements. Now, this to me is, is very fascinating. Verses 15 through 21, I didn't do too well in math. I didn't do too well in geometry, but fortunately I can read people who did. And they're going to create for us, and through my, my research, I hope you're blessed through this, I'm going to try to recreate for you some of the geometry, some of the dimensions of this place called, called New Jerusalem. I was reading one person, they said, you got to be kidding me. This thing is 1,500 miles 
high, 1,500 miles wide and long and so forth. How in the world, descending out of this, this new heavens, this new cosmos, I mean, there's going to come down this square-shaped place that can accommodate billions and billions of people. And the person is saying, how in the world is that going to come about? And then the same person answered, well, how in the world are there going to be gates made of pearl? Or how in the world is there going to be streets made of gold? But all we have to do is just close our eyes for just a moment and envision this spectacular place that God has created in the here and now. And if God did this, then surely God can do that what we're about to read. Okay, so 12,000 furlongs. Just go ahead and write in the margin of your Bible. That would be 1,500 miles long, wide, and tall. Verse 17, the 144 cubits would be about 72 yards in thickness. And then then, um, the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven. The 1,500 miles, think of it like this. It would be the distance between, let's say, New York and the great uh, city of Houston, or be the distance between the Pacific Ocean all the way to uh, the Mississippi River. One writer says, though staggering to the human mind, a city 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide on each side is no more unimaginable than all these other things that God has displayed and revealed uh, in His Word. Now, one writer put it like this, and church, I I think this is really fascinating. Listen to this. 1,500 miles wide, with each side being about 375 miles long, that is the city, an area of about 140,000 square miles, or 90 million acres, okay? And, he says, the ground floor will have room for 100 billion people. This is immense. This is prodigious. This is, you're saying, but but, but Brother Danny, that's just John's way of trying to describe that which is indescribable. And you know what? I would agree with you at that point. I I think John is doing best he can with, with human language and all the limitations of human language, trying to describe that really which is indescribable. Now, if you're interested, I've researched every one of these stones and the colors and what it represents. And for sake of time, and by the way, it's just hard reading all those names. I'll just say you can, you can look at my manuscript or you can do your own research and you can find out the different colors. But here's what it is. It's this, it's this pantheon. It's this rainbow of colors of this indescribable beauty. And if you look, look at this. Think, think of all the radiance and the brilliance of a rainbow. I mean exponentially more and more and more. All the glistening, all the bright all the grandeur, all this this sheer beauty just emanating out of heaven, then you begin to picture, then you begin to understand what John saw. The streets of gold like transparent glass, pearly gates, beautiful beyond description. Those are the measurements of the New Jerusalem. Then finally this morning, I want to look at what's missing in the New Jerusalem. There are four things that I want you to note with me that are missing in the new heavens and the new earth. First of all, there is no temple. And the reason there is no temple is because in verse 22 it says, For the Lord, now in the Greek it actually reads this. This this might interest some of you. In verse 22 it says, literally, for the Lord. Did you see that? In Greek it also says, the God 
the Almighty, and the Lamb. Every word describing God is prefaced with a definite article to make sure that we don't miss it, to make sure that we do not omit that this one God, this Lamb, the Lord God Almighty, He is the only one wise, true God. All the other gods, all the other goddesses, all the other would-be deities, they, they really, they do not exist. But this God does, the Lord, the God, the Lamb, the Creator, the one who began it all, the one who will consummate it all. It's all about Him. And you and I, we exist for Him. We exist for His glory. He, he put us here on this earth so that we would know Him and, and worship Him and adore Him and tell other people about Him because there's coming a day when we all go into His presence, His glory is manifest, oh, and we are all engulfed. We are all enraptured. We are all in this state of, of just absolute euphoria as we are in the presence of God. It's all about Him, and forever and all eternity we worship Him. Now, for us here on this earth, this is only a prelude. This is only a, a warm-up. This is only a, a pre before we get into the actual arena of worship. And if it's boring here, you're probably not going to be there. If you don't enjoy worship here and you don't enjoy all this glory of God and all about Him, then I would doubt that you would ever be here because here it's all about God. There's no sun, there's no moon because, again, the Lamb of God provides enough light. There's no darkness, praise the Lord. There's no darkness, there's no, there's no evil, there's, no, there's nothing with the connotation of darkness or evil. The gates are open. They're continually open, the presence of God. There's access to the presence of God. Freely come, freely go. There's no harm, there's no robbers, there's no dangers, there's no pain, there's no suffering. It's all about God and the presence of God. I read one person this week, I had never thought of it quite like this, but, and when I read it, I actually laughed because he said, many of us have a misunderstanding about the eternal state. He says, many people believe that what we're going to enjoy is an eternal siesta, but we're not. He says, some picture saints as cloud potatoes, strumming their harps of gold and simply lounging for all eternity. But he says, that's not true. We're going to work for God. We are going to be His people, and we're going to work without illness, without weariness. Powerful worship will be the, the activity of the inhabitants of heaven. In the eternal state, there will apparently be endless learning. Think about this. Endless learning and extensive assignments, this writer says. The probable interpretation is that those of responsibility throughout the cosmos bring all the glory of the new heavens and the new earth into this glorious city. Now, how that's going to happen, I don't know. You know, the Bible is silent on many fronts, and this is an example where the Bible is silent. What does it mean where those kings of the nations, they come and they bring their glory unto the Lamb? I read ten different interpretations as to what that means, and I'm just as confused now as before I read the ten interpretations. But this one may be right. It's referring to that millennial reign of the, the kings and the, and the nations of this world. They bring that glory that they had then into this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and this new earth. God will be there. The people of God will be there from all time, 
all eternity past, all of those saints of God of old will be there. And I just got to ask you, are you going to be there? Do you have a reservation made for heaven? Like I said last week, it, I, the more I study Revelation and the more I study our world in which we live, it, it makes me long for these days when we will be with God in heaven. We will step out of this darkness, out of this, this day of terror, out of these days of difficulty, and we will step into eternity. Nothing unclean, nothing of sin, but there's a great dilemma. If only God allows that which is pure and clean into heaven, and we are impure and we are unclean, then how in the world are we going to get out of this world into His world? And the only way we do that is that we have to have help. We have to have a Savior. We have to have somebody to wash us and cleanse us. We can't do it of our own accord. We can't do it of our own works. We can only do it through the Lord Jesus. I read this past week in prison fellowship, there was a man by the name of Bob McAllister. And Bob McAllister was one of those who would go and he would literally witness to prisoners, those incarcerated for their crimes. And one individual in particular, a man by the name of Rusty Woomer, he was there. He had committed some heinous crimes and he actually was on death row. And Bob McAllister went to him and he said, when I first met Rusty, He said, I looked through his cell and I saw a man who was basically death warmed over. He he literally had this pale expression on his face. He was lying down on his cot there and roaches, literally roaches were crawling all over his body. He said it was one of the most sad, pitiable sights that I ever saw. And Bob said, I looked at Rusty and I said, Rusty, if you will just say the word Jesus. And he was lying there in this state of just, I mean, just, it just, it was the stench, I mean, the, the pain, the suffering. And he said, he, he just lay there, and, and Bob said, Rusty, say, can you say his name? And Rusty, with everything within him, he, he pursed him in his lips, he, he said the name Jesus. And Bob asked him, Rusty, would you like to give your heart to Jesus Christ? Would you like to be born again? And when you die, you'll go to heaven. And all Rusty could do, watch this church, all he could do was this. All he could do was just nod, nod his head that way. So he prayed for him. A week later, he came back, and the same cell was spotless clean. Rusty was, he was sitting, all, all the, I didn't mention the pornography that was in his cell. All the pornography was gone. All the roaches were gone. And this is what Rusty said. He said, I spent all weekend cleaning my cell because I figured that's what Jesus wanted me to do. And for four years... Bob and Rusty met with one another, and Bob discipled him and taught him of the things of God. And then that day came when the warden, a man by the name of George Martin, came into his cell and said, Rusty, uh, all appeals have been denied. Today is your day when you enter into eternity. Is there anything that you would like to say? And Rusty said, well, first of all, I do want to say I'm sorry. And, he, and, he, and his, his brothers were there, his sister was there, his dad was there, and he was able to look through the, the glass and, and tell them that he was sorry for what he did. Then he turned to Bob, and he said, Bob, I want you to do one more favor for me. Would you read Revelation chapter 21? And that's what he did. He said, I opened my Bible, 
And this was another time where you could have more access to prisoners. He said, as I had my Bible open, I was sitting there with Rusty when they shaved the right portion of his head. And the hair fell onto my Bible and onto the ground. They shaved his right leg, and then they sat him in that chair. And the warden looked at him one last time and said, is there any final words that you have to say? And this is what he said. He said, I'm so sorry, but I claim Jesus Christ as my Savior, and my only wish is that everybody in the world could feel the love that I feel from him right now. And five minutes later, Rusty left this world, and he entered into the very presence of God. And you say, well, how could that be? How could somebody who had committed heinous, egregious crimes against his fellow man and, and others, how, how in the world could somebody, and I ask myself, how in the world am I going to go to heaven? Because I'm telling you, I am a sinner, and I've done things and thought things and said things. How in the world can I get into the very presence of God and live in the presence of God forever and ever? And I'm telling you, there's only one way. His name is Jesus Christ, and His blood shed through me, forgiveness of my sins. That's the only way that any of us can go to heaven. He, his blood can make this vilest clean. Remember this, His blood avails for me. So, Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for heaven. What a place. Lord, what a, what a magnificent place You have prepared for us, Your children. Lord, we long for the day where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sin, there will be no more that which separates us from You, God, but we will live in eternal bliss, with eternal responsibilities, with eternal access to Your very being, O oh God. And Lord, we thank You. But Lord, between now and then, we travel on this side, Lord, we travel on this side, and we Lord, sometimes we get weary, and sometimes, Lord, we, we just need to be reminded that, God, you are in control, and, God, you do win, and evil does not win. And, Lord, if there's anything we've learned through studying the book of Revelation is times on earth will be hard, but, God, you win. And we as your children, we will spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, my prayer, with everybody's head bowed and with our eyes closed, my prayer today, God, is if there is one person here within the sound of my voice, Lord, they're not prepared. God, they're not ready to enter into your presence. Lord, I pray right now that through simple faith, through simple childlike faith, they would say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And Jesus Christ, would you, would you cleanse me? Would you purge me? And friend, let, let me just say this to you. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God knows, and God offers this olive branch of forgiveness. He offers this cleansing. You, you can't imagine what it feels like to have your sins forgiven and your conscience clean, to have Almighty God say, it is finished. Your, your sins, I, I forgive them. I cast them as far as the east is from the west. I throw them to the very plummet, the bottom of the ocean. I, I remember them no more. You are clean now. You are forgiven. You say, oh, preacher, that is what I want. How do I do that? What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come in to my sin-stained life and purchase my soul, oh God. Let, let me tell you, friend, he will do that. 
If you will call, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's another, here's just a sweet byproduct of salvation. You will have peace. You will have this no fear of death. You, you will not live in trepidation. Oh, what if, I, what if I die in this accident? Or what if some terrorist kills me? Where, where am I going to be? What am, where am I going to spend eternity? You, you, you don't have to worry about that. If you today would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, that He is the Savior of the world, He's your Savior, He will become your Savior at this very moment. Lord, we thank You for salvation. We thank You. that God, You are a God of redemption. You're a God of, of Your Word. And Jesus, we just, we just believe You that when You said You're going to prepare a place, and what a place that will be, and what a day that will be. Lord, I pray that You would usher people into Your kingdom through the, the door, through Christ at this very moment. We pray, Lord, that You would bless our invitation. Lord, we're about to stand in Your honor, and we're about to stand in Your name, Lord, and be people of faith, and be people of decision and commitment. And Lord, we just pray that You would speak to us, You would encourage us, and those that need to, to make decisions for Christ, whether it's follow the Lord in baptism, or whether it's to become a part of Great Hills Baptist Church, or whether it's to surrender their lives, Lord, to the gospel ministry, or whatever their decision is, we pray, God, that You would give them courage and strength to make it. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand to your feet, Terry, and the band's going to lead us. What a great song. I love this song. What a great word of promise and hope. Why don't you come today? Let us help you. Let us encourage you. If you're here without Christ, let us introduce Christ to you today. God bless you as you come.